0: And 35 year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show.
1: Welcome to Driven Radio, your weekly automotive happy hour. Yay! Mm-hmm. I was thinking about it last week. It's just happy hour, dude. That's yeah. all we're doing around here.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Hanging out, yep, talking, yep, you're shooting getting, the breeze. <laughs> Thank yep, God breeze we don't have
1: more to drink in here. It'd wind up on the board. <laughs> I am Brett Hatfield here with our engineer and co-host, Mister Catfish Groves, Yo. and the evil genius of Craving Cars on YouTube, Mister Corey Pratt. Hey, that's me. We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in beautiful, and it was beautiful today. It was really nice, was it? I didn't see it at Not all. Too bad. I, yeah. I saw it for about ten minutes. I took a break from the computer and then had to go back to work. Uh, beautiful Overland Park, Kansas. Nice. Yes. Yay! Uh, you can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and read ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show. And listen.
2: <gasps> Here we go.
1: On iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Audible, Pod News, iHeartRadio, Acast, Overcast, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. Did I get it all? I think, yeah, I got I, I all think it. so. No,
2: would not too bad. Good a, job. A,
1: if you like what you're hearing, leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform, please. Please. And be sure to tell all your gearhead friends. If you want us to cover something, interview something, uh, if there's news you think that we missed, anything you think that you'd like to hear us talk about, feel free to email me at Brett. At readthedriven dot com, you know I didn't think when I made that email address I should have made it for all of us, but uh, uh, that's setting crap over. Okay, oh, you're I'll the ringleader. It
0: works <laughs> no, that way. It's your problem.
1: <laughs> the, ring, <laughs> the ringleader. <laughs> yeah, you, you're the instigator. You're the guy who started all this crap.
0: Yeah, it's your fault. Uh, what have
1: you guys been doing in cars this week?
0: I haven't been doing anything. I, I honestly, I mean, it's That's literally right. down to zero. I did notice that um, I let the bike run for a little bit this
1: weekend while I was doing stuff in the garage. Have you put any new gas in it? Not yet. You, you probably should. Yep.
0: Probably, yeah. Maybe. And uh, I also did notice. Oh, look, the oil light came on because you and I were talking about after the yeah, show last week. So yeah, I'm like, yeah. okay, I got a little, I got a little maintenance to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other than that, I haven't looked at jack shit. So how about you, Corey?
2: Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm I'm kind of with you on that one. Uh, this last weekend was you know, a very right. lazy weekend for me, and there wasn't much going on. So well, we the weather's kinda, been pretty crap-o. We kind of stuck home, and it was cold out this weekend. It was it was pretty cold. I right. did take the, you know, went out and uh, was going to go meet uh, a group with some breakfast on that Saturday morning. And, um, yeah, I woke up was like... I think sleep sounds a little bit better right now. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: cold. I don't want to go outside. Yeah. And it's
2: hard when the
0: room's cold, but the blankets are warm, and you're like, no. They, yeah, they'll understand. Little, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A little
2: bit of good. So, yeah. yeah kind of stayed home. Didn't do much.
1: Uh, I made it down to the warehouse and kind of screwed around with the GTO and Vlad a little bit. And I've been watching Meekum Kissimmee live on YouTube every day this week while I'm writing. And How doing has those. it been? It's been interesting. You know, they run a lot of very, very good stuff through there. But they, you know, early days, they also run stuff that is more affordable. You mean my
0: level-ish? There,
1: there have <laughs> more been remarkable. three or four things that went across on that that I was thinking, I wish I was set up to be a bidder. I would buy that for Mark. <laughs>
0: 'Cause it cost me a buck twenty and a six pack of hands. No, it
1: was like late sixties four door cream oh. yellow Chrysler. Oh. 440, and like a green interior and yeah. Yeah, it would uh, have been right up your alley, dude.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, that
1: sounds sweet. Something your neighbors would have complained about. It would have been great. <laughs> yeah. would have been great. You're not wrong. Uh, still hunting a Nassau Blue mid-year <laughs> on every forum under the sun. There's two on eBay right now oh, at, Lord. that a dealer has in Michigan outside of Detroit. Mm-hmm. One's Nassau Blue Blue interior, four-speed, high horse with knockoffs. And the and, and side pipes, and the other one is blue with white interior, high horse, uh, small block, four speed knockoffs, exhaust out the back, and they're within a thousand dollars of each other. Ooh. And I'm just looking at them, going, <laughs> you know, I bet somebody would let me buy <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> you got the car dealer on one shoulder and the banker on the other. And yeah, playing.
1: well, and the unfortunate thing is my credit rate is good enough that i could probably just call somebody up and say you know i'd like to have this much money and they'd say sure why not (laughs) mr stupid so the
2: (laughs) biggest question would you go with the side pipes or the rear pipes
1: i like the blue interior with the side pipes yeah okay the Uh, white interior scares me man i
2: thought that's i don't
1: mind the white interior so much because it's convertible i'm going to drive it around when it's sunny uh the one uh, admonition that I've really made about this car is it cannot have a black interior because I don't want oh, right. to cook when the top's down. Right. So blue or white is fine. It's a bright blue, not a dark blue. Um, I like the idea of the side pipes. I know on longer drives I'm going to be PO'd about it and I'll have earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I'm just going to do it. But, it's, if
2: but are, it's better, more classic, you know. If they're on a Corvette, are they still called lake pipes? No, no, no. These
1: are factory Oh, okay. Oh! No, no, no. These are are factory. It's called, I think it's N41, RPO N41 off-road exhaust. I may be wrong on the RPO number. But uh it's called off-road exhaust.
2: He's gonna take it on rally like yeah, rally
1: that, cross. That was in in just the dirt. a good old boy. Yeah, <laughs> no, Hundred and ten miles an hour with,
2: <laughs> with the top, ah, top two feet from my ear. He's got to wear goggles. <laughs> you know, you get dust in his hand. <laughs> the derp There's, of hazard.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> just take a full face helmet, screw it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs>
1: That's fine. This week in the news, right after Meekum finishes with Kissimmee, they will be selling off a collection of two hundred GM muscle cars from a music museum in florida gm is also making a better battery and porsche has a cool new anniversary boxster our special guest this week, you guys won't believe this, I got Malcolm Brickland to say he would come on the show. The Bricklin car, Bricklin? Yeah, Bricklin? That, that Bricklin. Holy that uh, I Bricklin.
0: Grabbed a Bricklin. Yeah, yeah. Ma- <laughs>
1: Malcolm will be here to tell us about bringing Subaru to the U.S. Remember that fine <laughs> Subaru 360 Dave Kenny was talking about last week? Yeah, yeah Malcolm absolutely. brought those He's here. He's the one. Isn't that weird? Oh, my yeah. God. oh
2: my God, what a uh, on?
1: Also going to be talking about his cool Gullwing SV1, bringing you go oh. to the U.S., and his new endeavor visionary vehicles got plenty of news to get to this week so let's get to it um hey guess what our source on this first article yeah gm authority yeah the author of the article you me, <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> I wrote this. You have a really really inside track to the news on GM. Look at that. Yeah, I, I thought I was going
2: to get a guess that answer too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No,
1: I, I I very much wrote this article,
0: and you so I respect
2: vi- my authority. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I got the bullet in my pocket. Don't nice. make me pull it out. <laughs>
2: One. One bullet, Brett. <laughs>
1: uh, there you go. One <laughs> shot, buddy. Punta Gorda, Florida Car Museum, Muscle Car City. What would
0: you just, just call me? Say that you time. son That's of a bitch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wrote this, but I didn't think about having to speak it. Muscle Car City is closing its doors and auctioning off most of its cars. Museum owner, <laughs> you thought Punta oh, Gorda dude, was still. Really? <laughs> no. Rick Trewargee. Uh, Museum owner Rick Traorgi's collection is considered one of the finest gatherings of GM cars in the world, the vast majority of which is comprised of Chevrolet models. There will be 50 Corvettes from all oh eight God. generations on offer, as well as 20 Camaros, nine Bel Airs, 10 Impalas, 17 Chevelles, five Novas, seven El Caminos, and the list goes on.
2: And I'm part uh, of triage. I just the, want to be there for this. There, no, there,
1: there are even do. seven Olds 442s in the collection. Oh, man. In the collection. Uh, in what all, years. 200 cars will be up for grabs. What's most impressive about the Muscle Car City collection is not the sheer number of cars. Cars, but the quality and significance of the offerings. Most of the collection is optioned with the highest performance factory engine and manual transmission. Mm-hmm. Rick mm-hmm. liked him a fast car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Among the offerings, multiple Corvette Z06s, and ZR1s, a fourth-gen Grand Sport convertible with just 640 <gasps> miles on it. The thing's like that It's still it's on the like wrapper. A, miles, yeah. a 71 uh, Corvette LS6, one of only 188 built. A 68 Corvette L89. Uh, that's uh, the 427 435 with aluminum heads. I only made a handful of those. A 67, 427, 435 car, big blocks, fuelies, solid axles, a 65 Chevelle Z16, 396, 375 horse car that is listed in the Z16 registry, Whoa. a 1969 Copo Camaro 427, mm-hmm. 4 and a quarter horse, a 1970 Chevelle LS6 hardtop. The LS6 is a 454, 450 horse car. A uh, 61 Impala 348 with a four speed and three deuces. Uh, He just got the coolest stuff. He got the best stuff. Uh, Mr. Trawargi is 72, and he had planned to retire next year and sell his museum then. But COVID hit last year, and it just killed museum attendance. He's 72. He wants to retire. He's not really doing this because he needs the jack. Uh, He'd made plenty of money to be able to do this in the first place.
0: Well, the market's also right.
1: I mean, he's he's picking an excellent time to sell because people are buying everything. It's really right, and the stuff he got was all the best he could find. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, COVID killed the museum attendance, and when asked what he's planning to drive after the sale, Rick said he intends to keep about 50 of the most (laughs) prized cars at his home in a mini-museum. Of those 50, 20 of them are 1967 Corvettes.
2: Oh, my God. Do you, so, you think they have your vet there? You think he's got a version of yours?
1: No, I want a 65
2: or 66. Oh, that's right. That's so cool. basically, he's keeping the cream of
0: the crop. Yeah. What you just spit out was not the cream of the crop. <laughs> Damn. Whoa.
1: Well, uh, no, he's, he's, that's the stuff he's selling off. He's got, in the 60 Corvettes, he said he had one of every color. Oh, my God. He, he just kept the really cool stuff. Well, yeah. But in addition to the 20 Corvettes, he's got a 6,000-square-foot building, building dedicated just to parts. <laughs>
0: wow. How many parts do you think he's got?
1: Uh, <laughs> enough to fill 6,000 square i got two feet.
0: bins in my garage, and my wife occasionally looks at me, you know, a Why askance. are you keeping that crib? You know, you could just get rid of it. No, I can't. I, I, might, I, I might need I that might one headlights surround from a 56 Plymouth.
2: I might need that someday. And
0: I still got kick panels left over. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: I need a 6,000-square-foot building just so I can yell in the middle of it.
0: <laughs> I can
1: tell
2: you what that's like.
0: All right. And coming also from GM Authority. I didn't
1: write this one. Uh, with F it. I'm the, done Well, there's still the
0: authority of GM. <laughs> Burn it to the ground. Next generation Ultium batteries to deliver 500 to 600 miles of range. I think Ooh. this is actually really cool. Uh, last year, General Motors revealed it was already working on the second gen of its Ultium mo- modular battery system. Now, this is despite the fact that the first vehicles with the Ultium batteries have yet to officially enter production. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm
1: sorry, I think you know, you be... ain't even got what we're making, and we're making it better. Yeah, we're
0: already upgrading it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we haven't sold our Windows 7, but here's Windows 10. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Now, the American automaker has revealed even more information on the next gen Ultium batteries during uh, GM C- CES two- 2021 one keynote presentation video.
1: Yeah, the uh, Consumer Electronics Show is going on this week.
0: The infle- its called inflection point. Putting everybody in an EV. <laughs> GM technical fellow. Please tell me they used you for the presentation uh, I, video. <laughs> I don't know why my phone's not ringing from GM. It's pissing me off to be quite a GM.
1: <laughs> yeah, but um, from now on, I want you to use that voice on the phone with me.
2: <laughs> you got it, <laughs> Brett. I'm going to come over here, and I'm bringing Doctor Pepper. I'm sorry, but I'm going to call
1: Mark
0: more often. <laughs> <laughs> no, no,
1: I really miss Don LaFontaine,
0: <laughs> GM technical fellow and lab group manager. Um, my Kai,
1: Mai Kai, Mai Kai, M E I C A I. This is why I gave you this story because I you didn't want to butcher a it.
0: <laughs> bastard stated <laughs> that the next generation all two batteries will have the maximum driving range of five hundred to six hundred miles. Now, this is by comparison. The first gen was around four hundred to four hundred fifty miles. That's still vehicles. pretty impressive. It keeps, I think so. It keeps getting better. Okay. It keeps getting better. Uh, range won't be the only advantage the second-gen batteries have over the current ones. The new batteries will also be much more cost-effective okay. uh, so that maybe we won't have to pay quite as much for and providing a 60% cost improvement over the battery found in the Chevy uh, Bolt EV while also being twice as energy-dense.
1: Bigger, better faster, cheaper. Yeah, and double as dense, more It's going to wind up derpier. being the, the $600 man. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, GM expects to be on the leading edge Of performance and cost Of course they do By manufacturing its battery cells in-house And splitting the cost With established battery manufacturer LG Chem GM expects to have a dominant position With regard to EVs Which will be really interesting Does GM still have anything I, I honestly don't know Do they still have anything to do with Hummer?
2: Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That no, a no that's, that's
1: a GMC thing, and that's that new Hummer EV that's coming out soon.
2: So, so you know. With, possibly this kind of battery technology. Yeah, they start packing yeah. that, and that big, fat thing. Then uh, That's uh, going to be amazing to have that kind of uh, uh, dogfight you know, hunt. Yeah.
1: I'll, I'll believe GM being the dominant force when they wake up one morning and say, Hey, Elon, suck it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, not from the GM authority. We have uh, a track. Sorry, had it mixed it up a bit, huh? <laughs> they are considering this isn't GM related. This is Porsche related. Ooh. Yay! Yay! Well, Porsche celebrates 25 years of the Boxster. So has it been 25 years? It's already? been 25 years for the car that more likely may have saved them.
1: Uh probably between that and the Cayenne. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's. I saw a real interesting statistic the other day that said they've built more Cayennes now than 911s, and they started making 911s in 1963.
2: That's saying a lot, but at the same time, I th- I'm not mistaken. Nine Elevens were the most sold sports car ever. Like they sold more of them. They accomplished. They're the first ones that sold over a million. I think. Wow, really? It was I believe it? You now, this was an article a while back, but I believe that's what I read. Millions
1: Corvette more. came off the line in '92, but again, they've been making Nine Eleven since 1963. Of course, is, they've been making Vets since 53. Is 50. Yeah, is that
0: a sports car or a
1: muscle car? Uh-uh. I would think it's considered sports a sports car, car, isn't it? Really? It's okay. a so sports car. Camaro's a muscle car.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> you're damn right. Good American, are you? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that was a question. I ain't wearing no underwear. I'm talking about the plastic car.
2: <laughs> wow. I want to make a Hot Wheel of.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Get through the news quick before, yeah. Yeah. He, before
0: he talks more. He's going
2: to attack something. <laughs> Someone put Mark in a chokehold. Says 25 years. Uh, for the Boxster, they're going to do a special edition. Cool. Which, why not, right? So to celebrate this 25 special, year. special edition, there's 25 years, it's going to be the Boxster, guess what? 25! Oh, yeah, <laughs> really? How cool is that? It's so, the 911-25? <laughs> it's the Boxster. Boxster 25. Boxster 25. Oh, okay, there we it. go. Okay. So it's based on the uh, 718 Boxster GTS uh, 4.0, so it gets the 395 oh, horsepower naturally mother. aspirated 4-liter oh, flat-six. Wow. Nice. Lovely engine, that is. Um, so the design cues are going to harken back to the original Boxster yeah. concept didn't Yeah,
1: you, didn't you see that uh, we were looking at that concept yes. earlier? And that thing was really sexy, especially considering yes. you know, yes. as far back as it was.
2: I almost didn't realize how much they changed when they actually made the production boxer. I thought hmm. it was very similar. but I mean, it was, but it wasn't because the front was different, the side skirts were different. Everything was kind of really cool about it, though. So... so Go back to those kind of cues, a uh, design cues, so that's kind of cool. Um, they use the, is it Neodyme? Yeah. Is that how that's pronounced? Okay. Yeah. The copper-like colors found on the front and side air intakes, as well as the badging and unique 20-inch five-spoke alloy wheels, which is kind of similar to those five spokes on the concept car. They're really cool-looking wheels, way different than what you typically see on a Porsche, as mm-hmm. far as a factory car goes. Uh, GT Silver Metallic. Go figure, they're going to do a silver... No, what a surprise. 85% of Porsches <laughs> are silver. Uh, as a standard color, but the Boxer 25 can also be opted in the jet black metallic. That would be cool. And the cool. Carrera white metallic. Also cool. So red leather interior. There you go, Brad. Ooh, Ooh, yes. And a red folding soft top is standard, although they could be optioned as black if you prefer. I would take oh, the red. Oh, you had me at red leather. Especially with the... Uh, have you seen the Carrera GT silvers with the red interior? Mm-hmm. They've had those two. Okay. Proper six-speed
1: yes. manual.
2: That's the standard? Yes gearbox um you do have an option for the pdk if you'd like but uh, you're looking at 182 mile an hour top speed with the pdk you can get under four seconds to zero to sixty three point eight.
1: you can and i get it and it's faster and
2: i'd still rather have the manual take the manual i would totally do that um the the, uh oh i here's what i love is the bargain basement pricing oh yeah absolutely uh first deliveries in the spring of 2021 pricing starting at $98,600. Ninety-eight thousand six hundred dollars. Bring my mortgage banker. <laughs> there you go. And hey, the the uh, it's already open for uh, for orders, so that's kind of cool too. So it's about what eight thousand more than the standard GTS four liter. Good so, lord. So four whatever. So plus about a uh, 1350 dollars destination. Everything
1: fee. cool is so stinking expensive.
2: It is, but I mean, hey, mine's a special edition came in that I have, and it was about nine close to $10,000 more than a regular Cayman S when it was yeah, new.
1: Yeah, but yours also has sneaky stuff in it, which I really like. So, well, maybe this has more than what they're telling
2: you. It's the little things. I'm sure it is. But it's Porsches, so it's those little things uh, cost a
1: it's, lot. It's, <laughs> it's the little things. Like, the option... The option list where it says you can get the blades of your vents covered in leather. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, and it's really <laughs> it know what it is. Costs yeah. freaking time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, it's Porsche. What do you expect? But
2: it's cool. I mean, if you had it sitting to a regular GTS though, you're gonna want the special edition. It's just gonna look cooler more special. she just
1: want a Porsche. How, the only thing I don't know
2: is how many they're going to make. So I don't know what they're going to
1: do. That. Pro- probably as many 25 as we No, sell. Yeah, yeah,
2: 25 <laughs> for 25. Yeah, is, is, yeah 25, if they were going to make 25, 25 of them, would be
1: $98,000? It would be three hundred ninety. No, there will be yeah.
2: 25 with the dash plaque.
1: And then 25 without. And then 25,000 without. Th-
2: 25, with so without. basically, yeah. we're going to have to wait till I can see one with the dash plaque to see what the number actually Absolutely. Is okay. okay.
1: I'm going to go buy a blue Corvette. Screw it.
2: <laughs> yeah, done. Do it. Do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's <laughs> Do it now. Do it now. Get your car Do it now. Get to the garage. (laughs) Kickstart your chopper! (laughs) (laughs) Kickstart (laughs) your (laughs) chopper.
1: Christ.
2: Sorry, Porsche. We just totally entered entered Porsche with GM stuff all over you.
1: Uh, I'll be back in a minute. Our special guest (laughs) this week is Malcolm Bricklin. Wait till you guys hear from Malcolm.
0: Oh, this should be cool. He has
1: done so much cool stuff. There's no way we're going to get it all in, but we're certainly going to try. (laughs) Malcolm will be here to tell us about bringing Subaru to the U.S. His cool gullwing SB1. very cool uh maybe bringing you go to the u.s he's just done so much cool stuff and all this and much more is coming up next on driven radio Welcome back to Driven Radio, the sweetest smelling podcast on the web. Our special guest this week is the visionary auto mogul and all-around cool guy, Malcolm Bricklin. Malcolm is the man who brought Subaru to America, built the Bricklin SV1, brought Yugo to America, and has plans to build affordable electric cars for all of us. Excellent. Malcolm, welcome to Driven Radio. Brad, thank you so much. You've had a very interesting career but you also seem to have a rather magnificent entrepreneurial drive. Uh, Where or from whom did you get that?
3: Well, uh, I'm really not sure, but I know from my earliest days, I did everything just to make a couple dollars. You know, I mowed lawns for people. I pushed an ice cream cart for two days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I was interested in always making some money. And, you know, just and doing things I just didn't want to hang around and do nothing Besides, when I was born There was no television So I had to get all my joy by listening on the radio And I'd rather be out doing something Than listening
1: What was the first business you owned?
3: I think the first serious business I owned Was a building supply company My dad had been in the building supply He had built a, a huge building supply in Central Florida And he had sold out I was at the University of Florida at the time. I was a sophomore. And they had C courses, they called them, you know, and one of them was logic. And for some reason, I liked logic and I set the curve in it. So I decided logically. I didn't need college anymore. <laughs> so when he sold his business.
0: <laughs> a plus B equals C
3: <laughs> of course my parents were disappointed, but I said, Listen, you just sold your business. I had no idea what I was gonna do. I was just in college to have a good time and actually met my first wife there. But um, so anyhow, I decided I was gonna open up a building supply and I went out and hired as my partner actually, his best salesman. And the oh. name of the company was called Cranus called Brooklyn because Cranus was the name of the, my new partner who was the best salesman over there. And everybody thought because the second name was Brooklyn that it was my dad or at least my dad behind me. And he could not go into business for a year in the same business as part of his selling agreement. Uh-huh. And <laughs> by, by the advantage of using my name, I got suppliers who were willing to do business with me because they really thought my dad was involved. And I had builders who bought from me for the same reason. So I took advantage of my last name to start a business from scratch that I didn't really really know too much about. But because I had this great salesman and because I had my last name, it was successful.
1: So how did you franchise that business?
3: Well, I didn't. But I found out something about that business that I remember forever. And that was, I did not want to be in a business that gave credit to people. Oh. Because I found dealer not dealers, but uh, builders. Let's say they were going to build 100 houses. They would pay me for 90 of them, but they wouldn't pay me.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But I didn't know when that was going to come. and I didn't like that at all. So I decided I wanted to find, a, I wanted to do something that was a cash business, and at the time, Seven Eleven had just started to build their stores, and I saw them open, you know, early in the morning to late at night, and they were getting cash. And I said, you know what? How about if I start a hardware chain, and instead of having all that inventory of nuts and bolts and everything else, how about if I have just enough? that you can buy in a day or two. And then at the time, IBM cards had just come out. And I would have an IBM card for everything I had in the store. So when you sold a nut or a bolt or a paint or a piece of plywood, they would pull a card. And I would send my truck out and pick up the cards and drop off yesterday's sales. Because I built a warehouse with a conveyor and all the IBM equipment to make the punch cards. And all, in the end, I've ended up with about uh, 17 of those stores called Handyman in Central Florida. And then I started franchising it out, ended up with over 150 of them around the country. And then Dixie Paint and Varnish Company, that was selling me the paint under Handyman name, decided they wanted to turn those stores into more paint stores, which I did not agree with. So they bought me out, asked me, what did I want? And I said, I want a million dollars after taxes. And they gave it to me. <laughs> if I, own, I was a millionaire. <laughs> and then I found that I had a problem. Because now if I spent the money, I wouldn't be a millionaire anymore. And I started to realize the money was holding me back. So I put it in a trust for my future kids. And now I was not broke again, but I didn't have that money to worry about. And I went out and started doing stuff.
1: What was the Rabbit Scooter?
3: The Rabbit Scooter. Well, fast forward. I decided I had sold the business. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do again. I was originally from Philadelphia. So I packed up my kids. I had, uh, at the time, three kids, one under one, one under two, and one under four. My wife at the time absolutely was scared of airplanes. We didn't have jet airplanes. We had propeller airplanes. And at the time, I had a Corvette. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Now, picture this. No way. Kids in the back of the Corvette, you all, and all the other stuff coming in at a big wedge, traveling from Orlando Florida, to Philadelphia. Oh, you did the smart thing
0: by getting them young enough that they wouldn't remember the trip.
3: <laughs> well played. What a, what, a, what a fun and nightmare at the same time.
0: Oh, absolutely.
3: So now I'm in Philadelphia and I'm trying to figure out what I want to do next, and I get introduced to a man by the name of David Rosen. And David was a big, he would put things like uh, jukeboxes and cigarette machines and bars and restaurants around the the Philadelphia area. He was a big man in that business. And I spent some time with him, and I didn't like anything about it. (laughs) So (laughs) I was about to tell him, you know, there's nothing here that really interests me. And he said, wait, I got this thing in Italy. They've been bugging me about, I think you're perfect. And it was called a cinebox." and the cinebox picture a great big looking egg in red that was flat on one side and had a screen in it and it was a visual box so instead of pushing a button and see, have, hearing a record you would push a button and you would see mtv but it was before mtv but so we went to, to milan met with Innocente corporation which made uh, big equipment and you the equipment were big deal impresses, and they made them. motor scooters under license, along with Mars minor cars, from license from England. And we met with them, and they had this thing, and it was fabulous. What a great idea this was. And we made a deal. We we're going to buy some, and we had them shipped over. And now my job was to go find film to put in these things. Film. So I flew off to Hollywood. <laughs> met with all the people in the studio and nobody had any films. What they had is uh, R-rated pornography.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, they had films with. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is that's what people wanted to see and although oh. I enjoyed watching it that's not the business I wanted to be in. <laughs> and I couldn't convince anybody to make me a musical film. <laughs> so here we had these machines and and zero, he was putting them out by the way, and putting in the R rated film. And I said, nah, You know what? This ain't this isn't for me. So well, I sold what we had to Food Fair to put it over their checkout counters and have the advertisers put their advertising in there so people would see films one rotation. And that was the end of it. So I was finished. <laughs> one day I get a call from the Nascente Corporation. When I get on a plane immediately, they'll have a ticket waiting for me at the airport. At the airport. Do not tell anybody I, that I'm coming over, which, of course, I love the family James Bond. <laughs> so I did. Boom. I got on a plane. I fly there. They meet me at the plane. We go through customs and nobody talks. to us. Boom! We're out there. I'm in front of the board. Why am I here? They make Lambrota motor scooters at exactly, this is 1967, at exactly the time that mopeds were coming in, and the Vespas and the umbrellas were not selling anymore. And they happened to be stuck with 25,000 of them oh sitting my. in a Long Island warehouse. And I said, yeah, okay, so what? They said, so what, we are extremely embarrassed. It is, has nothing to do with money, it has to do with we've got to get rid of them. It is really embarrassing we have no idea what to do. I said, well, you're talking to the wrong guy. I wanted an electric bicycle. I wanted a scooter. I wanted a motorcycle. I could have driven at a 14. I had a driver's license because I was in smart at the time, and you could get your driver's license at 14. I said, my mom wouldn't let me have one. So I don't know a damn thing about it. <laughs> I, I don't know how I'm going to help you. They said, well, our problem is we don't know anybody else in America that we can trust. <laughs> and we met you and we can trust you.
4: Uh-huh. I said,
3: yeah, but I don't have any information. What are you going to trust? They said, do us a favor. Just go back and go look at the place in Long Island and tell us if there's anything you have any idea what to do. I said, okay, as long as you understand I'm coming from, that's the one place I do not have any knowledge of. I go back, I go there, they have two nice guys that speak broken English from Italy, and they take a siesta, and they take a two- or three-hour lunch, and if you want one of these things, you've got to call them up and send them a check. It's not a really good way to sell something that very few people want. (laughs) (laughs) So I got on a plane, and I flew back to Italy, and I said, my recommendation is you fire the two guys. You better have nobody there It's better than having those two guys there. They said, listen, you can't do this. Make some kind of help us. I said, as long as you know going in, I'm starting from scratch. They said, what does it take? What the hell? Now, remember, this is 1967. I said, I want an office in New York City and I want $5,000 a week.
1: Oh my and God. I want to
3: win your contract. And I will go figure out something. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> You've got to give me a year. And if will trust me that I'm going to try, that's all I can give you. And they signed the contract. And well, I went, like, well isn't that great? So <laughs> yeah. I, now I'm living in Philadelphia. I hire a driver. I go out and I buy a used (laughs) Rolls-Royce. Oh, my God. Oh,
4: my God. And
3: every day, I get up in the morning, go downstairs in my pajamas and a pillow, get in the back seat and sleep until we get to the end of the New Jersey Turnpike, go into the uh, gas station on the Turnpike, and put on my suit and tie, and go to the Time and Life building where I had my office. Now... I have my office at the timely Life building, and I'm sitting twiddling my thumbs thinking, what the hell am I supposed to do now? What am I gonna do to sell these scooters? So I figured, well, the next thing I better worry about is it's gonna be 12 o'clock, where do I wanna have lunch? So I go to a place right next to 21, Tootshores. At that time, Tootshores had a round table in the middle of the restaurant. And in that round ta- on that round table, Anybody who wanted to could sit, but if you did, you sat because you wanted to talk to the people who sat there, whoever they were. So a lot of very big deal executives sat there so they could talk to other people and get conversations that they wouldn't get normally in their life. I sit next to a guy who has an office right across the street from me. Time and Life building was on 6th Avenue and I think 50th or 51st Street. I'm 50, I don't right around that area, and he was right across the street. Uh, the thing And his office was right across from JC Penney's, which is right next to the Diamond Life Building. And his business was selling furniture from a, a company in wherever the heck they built the furniture, Tennessee or something, to J. uh, uh JC Penney's. That was his only customer, and he was a police groupie that means he had a badge and he just loved talking about the police force anywhere and everywhere and I listened to him a while I told him what I'm doing what I'm trying to do and about every day I'm going there and then I go to his office and I meet a gorgeous receptionist that he has there and they close the office at 12 o'clock and he went to and we would meet and uh, one day he says to me give me three scooters I said, okay, what do you want to do with them? He said, I'm going to give them to the police force. I said, what do they want them for? He said, they don't want them, but I convinced them they ought to try them out for the meter (laughs) maids. Really? Okay.
4: (laughs) He gave them
3: three scooters. He comes back next, I mean, the next week he comes back with a report. Well, they figured out that if they gave a meter maid a scooter, it would replace five meter maids.
0: Whoa.
3: No kidding. I went, wow, <laughs> isn't that cool? Yeah. He said, and they want to buy a thousand.
4: <laughs> no
3: kidding. <laughs> I said, no kidding. When did they want them? So, boom, we sell a thousand scooters. Now I have a new routine. I get up in the morning, I get in the rolls, I go out to the thing, I walk into the time and night building, I wait till 12 o'clock. I know he shut the office, I go across to the office and I date his receptionist. (laughs) Then I go go meet him. And we sit and talk about things now. Things are getting good. And he's telling me how happy the police force is with that. And he says, uh, a couple weeks go by. And he says, I need another thousand scooters. I said, what for? He said, they have decided they're going to give them to the Central Park Police Forces. And by the way, at that time, you didn't walk through Central Park for damn sure at night. But even in the daytime, it wasn't that safe. And they were going to use it so they could patrol and then run after people with it. And the truth of the matter is a small wheel running over that terrain is not the smartest. A moped would have been smarter, but nobody was out talking to them. And they were. (laughs) this was a whole new thing. So I told them another thousand. Now we have 2,000 sold. And I'm enjoying my life in New York. And then one day he says to me, all right, now I need $15,000. I said, well, what, what are we going to use it for? He said, we're running that in the police gazette. And I have somebody in the New York police force that will be willing to put his name and number down so anybody who reads it, who wants to do what you're they're doing, they can call him and he can give them the, what's... I, oh, by the way, by using the... Uh, uh, librettas in, in Central Park. It sort of opened up the park. It sort of made it a place where you can actually go enjoy the park. It really oh. did cut down on the crime. Oh. Well,
0: well, they're anyhow, they're a very imposing vehicle. You know, you you roll up on a rabbit, people get scared.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, not a rabbit. That's not a rabbit. That's a libretto We didn't. Get oh, that's right, there, the that's right. they the libretto, That's right. It's still a labretto. Anyhow. The end of the story is I sell all twenty five thousand units in a pound I think it was less than ninety days. Oh, oh my god now I'm wow. getting paid. Now I'm getting paid and I have an office and I got another nine months on my contract. And I got nothing to do. And they're happy as can be paying me. So <laughs> I'm looking around and reading the paper and I'm seeing that there seems to be a business that's happening out around the country and that is renting scooters. But the problem, after I go out and talk to some people, I see they're getting $15 an hour oh my. to rent these things. Now, that's a time when these things cost a couple hundred dollars I'm talking about. We're talking about a real return on investment, fast. But there was a serious problem. When you got on a scooter, now remember, you're gonna rent a scooter for $15 It's because you don't own a scooter. If you don't own a motorcycle, maybe you own a bicycle. And now you're getting on this thing and you got to shift it and you got to balance it and you know what happens? You get an accident and they ain't got no insurance.
4: Oh. So these are
3: short-lived, short-lived businesses. When they start to get sued a little bit, they have to close down. So I went, wow, what a cool thing this is. So I went out to State Farm and made them a deal. I'll pay them a dollar an hour for them to give me insurance on these things and we made a deal. Now I had insurance. The only problem is I didn't have a scooter. <laughs> and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I read a little ad in the Wall Street Journal about a guy who has 450 Rabbit motor scooters in the New England area. And he's looking for a partner. So I fly to Boston to meet him, and he has himself a little airplane, and he has 450 scooters on rental, and they have automatic transmission. Oh, perfect. Okay. Hello. Oh, my God. I think I died in <laughs> with that. Yeah, I got automatic transmission and I got insurance. This is the best thing going. His problem is renting 450 scooters is really good in the summertime, ain't so good in the wintertime. So he has to bring them all back and store them. And he thinks he's a big man because he made a contract for these things, so he has the whole United States, but he also has an inventory of parts that he has to sell, and he has a $75,000 SBA loan that is overdue with the New England Merchant Bank. So I tell him, tell you what I'm going to do. Here, I'll get you, I'll co-sign, I'll go guarantee the $75,000 with your bank, New England Merchant Bank, and um, you can keep all the income from the rental. I'll take care of all the overhead, I'm gonna sell all your inventory, and then I'll order more, but the condition is you gotta get them to assign the contract to me. And the company is Fuji Heavy Industries. No problem, we go to the bank, I show the bank who I am, I tell them I'll sign the paper, if I don't don't pay you back in the next 60 days, I'll pay pay for you personally. No problem, I said, but, I want to, you have to call me up and tell me we have a contract assigned to me. And here's the company name. And no problem. A week later, they call me up. We shot the contract. Everything's ready to go. I say, great. I put a package together to sell the rabbits to gas stations nine at a time with. I can finance it because these guys own their gas station. So, in effect, I'm taking a mortgage out on their gas station <laughs> to finance it. <laughs> oh and I give me insurance and they figure, you know, they got no cost for gas and they got no cost for labor. You know, to them, it's all profit. I mean, and most of them can make their money back in 30 or 60 days. So, everybody's happy. Boop. I sell all the scooters. I'm happy as could be. And I get a telex and I telex to Fuji M industries. I am very excited about getting involved with you. I'm going to come over to Japan. I'm about to get my visa. Please send me, you know, whatever I need to do that. And how do I order a couple thousand scooters? I get a telex back. Who am I? And don't they know? Don't I know that they're, they sold their factory to Israel and the process of dismantling it? Oh, got that? <laughs> I, call up, I call up the banker and my buddy, who I bought the business from, and say, Excuse me, I have a small problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, we forged their name. We knew that. But we know you could probably talk them back into selling to you. You got that one? But the loan wow. was already paid off, so I don't know anything. I didn't lose anything. But I ain't got nothing either. <laughs> yeah. Not a good place. Not a, not a good place. So I get on the plane. I go <laughs> fly to Japan. Now, this is 1967. The end is 360. Everybody in Fuji, in Tokyo, is gray. I mean, they wear gray. And everybody is 50 years old and older. And I'm in my 20s. You know, And I'm wearing Peter Max ties and double-breasted suits. And I got long sideburns and they think I came from Mars <laughs> <And> they <thought. laughs> they're not or, wrong <laughs> they know I own the rabbit name in the United States whether they like it or not and they are they know I've been screwed but they and they have no idea what that means all they know is they're going to be nice with me that I'm, I get from the way they're treating me and we meet with the board and everybody's really sorry I got screwed and I say, listen I don't care I am telling you, whatever you can build, I'll buy. I'll give you letters letter credit. You can pay 50,000, I'll buy all. And whatever you want, I'll give you a letter of credit tomorrow for everything. I mean, I could sell these things every gas station in the country. Uh, and so what they do is they take me on tour and I one day take a train and I go see their car factory and I go see the scooters being dismantled and I go I mean they're taking me on a tour just to make sure that I don't give them any trouble and I and I'm telling them I can do this and I'm showing them brochures and I'm telling them and you know me I'm talking like this fast and (laughs) they for sure thought I was from Mars and I'm smoking cigarettes at the time and so were they And so they say to me, listen, would you do us a favor before you leave? This is a two-week visit I went. Would you do me a favor before you leave? Would you give our guys a little um, education, a little group uh, teach about marketing? (laughs) (laughs) You got it. (laughs) I say, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I have a room full of Japanese guys in their gray suits, sitting around a great big long uh table with me in the middle and i'm trying to tell them about marketing you have to change things you have to do this you have to get people interested and no matter what i say like i say you know i went to your 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 dealerships and they're drab and upstairs you sell cigarettes and or downstairs you sell cigarettes and upstairs you you sell the cars but there's no pizzazz you have to uh paint the outside they write down paint the outside i said no no marketing is a matter of getting attention so anything i'm telling you is just examples of you have to change what you're doing they write change what you're doing <laughs> so finally i, I can't I can't stand it and i pick up one of their ashtrays that has like a pyramid of cigarettes in it i pick it up and i throw it against the wall everybody oh my god i said that's marketing <laughs> 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 I, I, the <laughs> so, I realized they got a long way to go.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I fly back to the United States. I'm all excited. I like them. I like what they're doing. I saw what they're doing. They're going to, I love their scooters. Screw them. They got to go cancel the goddamn contract. And I get a very, very nice FedEx uh, back two weeks later. So sorry but we can't change our contract. And we'll have to keep on dismantling it. And I realized now when I deal with the Japanese, when I think they mean they agree, it just means they understand. It doesn't mean anything more than that. I fly back and I say, now, by the way, they've shown me their cars and they had the little 360 and they had the Subaru star, which was a really nice looking car. That's the one I wanted. But I remembered they told me that little Subaru would cost me $640 FOB Yokohama. So I came back, I figured, what the hell? I'll take the little car. <laughs> and they said, oh, no problem. We don't think it'll sell in the United States because it's so small. And I said, listen, for $640, $100 for freight, and $15 for the uh, duty to bring it into the United States believe me, I'll find a way to sell the hell out of those things. They said, um, and now they're being polite They said, okay, but you'll have to give us a million and a half dollars. I said, why am I going to give you a million and a half dollars? I'll give you letters of credit for the car, but I'm not giving you a million and a half dollars. Well, the next year, 1968, safety rules are starting to go into, um, uh, into the United States. The rules are going to start, and it will cost us that to do what we have to do to the car. I said, um, all right, let me talk about it. Let me think about it. And I get back on the plane. I fly to Washington. I go into NHTSA. I said, would you give me, would you give me the book on the safety rules for the 1968 Western? And they give me a book about two. I sort of came out to a little holiday. And before I open it, I go, oh, my God. <laughs> I open it up. I read the introduction. And then I start opening up the pages. When I get to about the fourth or fifth page, I realize I cannot even deal with this. I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. There's no way in God's earth I'm going to be able to understand how to get around them. That's for damn sure, because I don't want to pay them a million and a half dollars. I go back to the first page, and it says, these rules apply to all cars, over 1,000 pounds curb weight.
1: Oh, uh, here's, the, back, here's the rub.
4: <laughs> Did you hear I that? Did you hear the angels' wings people, go,
3: <laughs> What's the curb weight of this uh, the, what does curb weight mean? They said, well, a car sitting at the curb with all the fluids in, pull up a tank, it's air conditioning with the fluid, whatever. No kidding. I opened up my brochure. It says 960 pounds, curb weight. I said, what happens if I have a car under 1,000 pounds? How quick will you can you change the law? <laughs> they said, the way it works is if enough people – object to for any reason to whatever you're selling we have to hold hearings and after we hold the hearings then you have two years I said are you telling me that no matter what happens from today it would take you two years to change the law they said no we're saying if we ever change the law it would take years before the two years started
1: No kidding.
3: In for the win. (laughs) What do I have have to do?
1: What's the number for Subaru? I
3: have that. (laughs) They said, you go, you take your brochure down to the IRS, and they will give you an exemption, which I do. And now I called up Fuji. Actually, I didn't call him up. I tell fuji and said, I would like to come over for one more meeting. And I go out and hire a guy. That's 55 years old, so it looks like I got people who are older. And we and I tell them all I want you to do is walk around and smile. You don't have to open your mouth and say anything. He became my first employee, by the way. We <laughs> fly to Japan. I ask for the board meeting. We sit around the board. It's snowing. I remember, I, it's right. Their headquarters was right next to Shinjuku St. Station. And it was snowing, and there were people running all over the place because Tokyo was not really prepared for snow, believe it or not, in 1967. Anyhow, we're sitting in the boardroom, and it's like, this is my last chance. I'm not going to be able to put this together with the car now unless they give it to me. So I start with, listen, I know you guys have been patient with me, and I know you're tolerating me, and I appreciate it very much. The first thing I want you to know, no matter what happens, I'm not going to sue you. I'm not going to cause you any damage in the United States. I appreciate your hospitality. But I also want to tell you something else. I know I'm young, and I know that's not who you normally do business with, but I'm very heavily politically involved in the United States. (laughs) And so here's the deal. If I can get the law changed so I can bring the car in without meeting the safety regulations, will you give me a contract? (laughs) Absolutely, they said. And I pull out the paper and Subaru of America was born.
0: Oh my oh, God. <laughs> that, oh my God, that story. So it started with a, a stack of, uh, IBM, uh, index punch cards that went into, into nuts yeah. and bolts. And then you were having dinner because you'd worn your jammies and a Rolls
1: Royce. this is And there was I a was... hot
0: secretary somewhere in there. And the next thing I you know, Subaru. <laughs> Holy cow.
1: This is why I was so excited for this interview, dude. Oh, that is
0: awesome. (laughs) And I love the car, too. The Subaru 360
1: is
3: cool. At least it is now. It was a fun, fun time. I enjoyed every minute. I was a little nervous a couple times there. (laughs) You think? But it ended up being really fun.
0: Remind me to never play Monopoly with you. Ever. (laughs) Ever.
3: (laughs) Well, now let's talk about what happened with the 360. Now right, hit the it quick. '60s are coming in, and we're selling them. We're selling them. All of a sudden, we're selling a hundred. Then we're selling a thousand. Then we're selling two thousand. I have to get ships to come in. They're coming into the West Coast because it takes the next two weeks to get to the East Coast. I make a deal that I don't have to. pay I give them a letter of credit, but I don't have to pay them for six months. So I got money <laughs> piling up in the banks that are giving me the letters of credit. And I got, but I can't. I have to keep getting more letters of credit because the more I sell, the more letters of credit I get. uh, So I'm now into a whole new world that I've never been into before. And one day I get a call, did you see Consumer Report? I said, what's Consumer Report? (laughs) Uh (laughs) They said, well, you're on the cover. I said, what do you mean? They said, they got a Yugo facing a Cadillac, and it says unsafe so I said big deal what's the circulation of of the magazine <laughs> yeah, 500,000 I said so 500,000 people aren't going to buy it they said no that's not what's happening what's happening is the banks are canceling the floor planning for the dealers Ooh. and we are dead
1: so consumer reports oh, killed on. off the 360 for you
3: They killed the 360. And by the way, it was not a fair article. These cars are really great, and people were not getting killed in them. I mean, if if it was between two trucks, yeah, you got a squashed car. (laughs) But if you hit it, it was a moneycock body, and it was like a ping pong ball. It would go out, which took the energy away from the people inside unless, of course, it was hit and then went into a tree. But it was not a dangerous car. It's weird how that works.
1: <laughs> but like so many other creative business people, rather than seeing this as an obstacle, it became an opportunity for you. Uh, tell, us about the S- tell us about the SV-1.
3: SV-1. Okay, so now I've, I'll, I'll skip over the stories of how I convinced them to give me the four-wheel, I mean, the all-wheel drive car that they were building that they didn't want to sell me. That will skip over, and now things are starting to get really good for us. The Subaru was coming in, we had front-wheel drive, which was a big deal at the time. It was a great car. I could sell the car for $1,297 retail with a 20% discount to the dealer. I mean, things were good, I thought, but I was getting bored. Now we had a company, I had good people working for me. It was getting it was getting very good and i decided i had a crawl in my in my in my head uh. about what i had done with safety and how i was associated with an unsafe car and it really annoyed me and at the same time safety rules were getting stronger and stronger and stronger it's now about 1972 and um, people, the car companies are making statements like, we can't have these regulations, five mile an hour bumpers, you're out of your mind, these cars are gonna be so ugly if we have to make it, you know, why are they saying that? Safety and ugly has nothing to do with each other. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I decided I'm gonna build a gorgeous car and it's gonna be the safest car ever built. And that's when I went out to decide I was gonna build a car, 25 mile an hour bumpers with no damage to the body. Whoa. Until I was told how impossible that was. So I'm trying to figure out how to build a body. I get a guy, about get Bruce Myers, the guy who did the dune buggy.
0: Yes, sir. And the Myers Manx, yep.
3: It's one of the most sweetheart guys in the whole universe, by the way. Nicest guy. But prior to meeting him, I had the dune buggy and they used to take the kids for rides in it and love it. Anyhow, I'm in in Southern California because we have an office there now to handle the dealers in California. And um, so I meet with Bruce and I tell him I want to build a car and I want it to look something like this and I want to have these powerful bumpers on it. And he he builds me a car pretty close to what the car actually was. But when I met finally some people who knew what they were doing from Detroit, they told me there would be not one nut or bolt that I had in this car that would ever really be in the real car. But now, so I go to Detroit, and I breed the guys in Detroit, and we start building a car. And I learned about how you build a clay model that has to be accurate to one ten thousandth of an inch, and how much it costs to do it, and on and on and on and on, but I figured what the hell, I got the money now, I'm doing it. So we start building the car, the only problem is, How am I going to get the bumpers to go in and out without damaging the bumpers, without damaging the body? Well, you can build the body around so they can put the bumpers to go in and out. But now how are you going to get whatever it's going to be to have no crush? And one day I'm flying into L.A. and I realize when I land, the landing gear does exactly what I want. Plane comes in, your car goes into the landing gear and comes out. I mean the plane. So I go to landing gear people, and I tell them what I want. They say, how much? How, how much? I said, 10 miles an hour. No problem. And they make me two uh, things that go in and out for the bumper in the front and two in the back. Cost me $1. fifty each. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I got 10-mile-an-hour bumpers, and you are no damage to our cars. They go in and they go out front and back that's how i built i mean that's how we ended up with the car there and then 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 it came to you know where the heck am i going to build the car yeah and i needed i needed the money to build the car because i certainly didn't have that and i certainly didn't want to hock myself up for it so i started looking around and somebody said to me hey why don't you go to new brunswick (laughs) and i said (laughs) uh new brunswick new jersey or new brunswick georgia and by the way that Dixie Paint and Varnish Company that I sold Hayley Man to, their offices were in New Brunswick, Georgia. <laughs> so I said, which was those? But no, 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 New Brunswick, Canada. Where in the heck is that? And they showed me right above Maine. No kidding. I said, well, what do they got there? They said, nothing. I said, why would I go there? <laughs> they said, because they got a premier who's extremely 21st century. He's a sharp guy. He wants to do good. He's looking for publicity to show that province is more than fishermen and woodcutters, and he'll give you the money. So I went to meet Premier Hatfield, and I liked him. He was a cool guy. He was a true politician. That's what he worked, but I mean in the nicest sense. He really cared for his people. He really wanted to do the best for the people, and he needed something to get New Brunswick attention. And I was just perfect. (laughs) And he started giving me money and an empty paint factory that I had to turn into a factory, which we did. And we start building cars. And he and I went on everywhere. We went on tour. We were at Harvard Business School. We were on television shows. We were on radio shows. And he was getting exactly what he wanted publicity for his province. And we ended up, now we're getting back orders. We have 400 dealers and they're selling cars as fast as they can get them. And there are some problems. And one of the problems was, (laughs) I have the car in Philadelphia, and I'm always looking at it. I'm looking at it with the doors up. I love looking at it. And one day, it's raining like crazy, and I go out to the car, and I push the button, which has hydraulic lifts on the B column, and it takes six seconds to open, and six seconds to close, you know what that is in the rainstorm? Forever. A shower. It is horrible. <laughs> it is beyond horrible. And nobody had thought about it. Oh. And here I am, stuck with this problem. Holy moly. So it's not what like a garage door.
0: There's no release that you can you can click or pull and be able to just manually go at it. You had to wait for it to open and wait I for can, it to close.
3: Now for safety, for safety, we had a hand grenade bin at the top. You could pull that hand grenade pin, and it it you know remove the hydraulic from the door and you could push the door out the whole door out oh, in crap. case you were rolled over for safety. Yeah, yeah. But, but if you did that, you had a ninety pound door. I had a window that went up and down. <laughs> Nobody ever built a Goldwing door that had a window that went up and down. Oh. The Lorian had that little slide window, uh, <laughs> and Mercedes, you pulled out the glass. I and that's a deal because you can't have anything other than something like a hydraulic to open it up or you'll hear what we did. But the end of the story is, I mean, I put a lot of demands on that nobody ever did. And so here we are with this new problem. Oh my God, what (laughs) am I gonna do? This is not acceptable. I'm building cars, they're going out to people. Oh my God, rain is gonna be not good for anybody. So I needed that door to open fast and close fast. And I didn't know what to do. So I call up a friend of mine who's an inventor who in fact, uh, and that and the next thing I did he built a, an engine but I call him up he lives in Graham, Texas and I said get on a plane and fly to Lavonia, Michigan I got a problem and boom he's there the next day I fly in from Philadelphia and oh my goodness wait a second I have a watch that when I move my hands away around the way I do <laughs> it says am I okay and did I fall and if I didn't take it I'm <laughs> on <I> one more
4: <laughs>
1: wow
3: That's and I'm first. moving my hands around when I, my hands are connected to my mouth so when I'm talking my hands are <laughs> well. Yes. are you
4: okay
3: anyhow Frank Turner comes to Detroit I tell him what my problem is he said, no problem give me a car I'll be back in a week he drives the car to Graham, Texas calls me up comes in the next week I have everybody around he says, okay, push the button. I push the button, it goes, whoop, the door opens up. I push the button, it goes, whoop, and stops six inches from the bottom and then shuts slowly so you don't cut your fingers off.
1: Oh,
0: okay, that's wow. a good idea. Smart.
3: What did you do? <laughs> he said, I took the hydraulic out. I filled it with air. We had a box frame. He said, and the box frame is the engine will make air. to put in the box frame. And that said, you've got an air door now instead of hydraulic.
0: That's clever.
3: Coolest thing that ever happened. We never got it into production. But almost oh. every car that's out there now has it on them. Because after it went out of business, a couple of the guys who work with me put in businesses that would fix up bricklins. And one of the first things they did is anybody came in, they changed, their, they changed the door from the hydraulic to air doors.
1: How many bricklins were made?
3: Uh, before they closed us down 2,900 and so a little less than 3,000. We huh. had 45,000 back orders, by the way. Oh.
1: Holy crow. And, uh. and
3: now the last story. How in the world we have back orders, we're fixing everything like I just told you with the door, we're getting everything into, I mean uh, when you build anything you have problems, especially when you're building a car in New Brunswick in a paint factory. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And using acrylic bodies that when it came off the uh, off the uh, the line, I said, "50 years from today, that car will look exactly the same," and it does. They do. It is solid acrylic reinforced with fiberglass. So, if you have a scratch, you buff it. If you hit it hard enough, it won't make a dent. It'll make a hole, and you can put the hole back in. glue it back in, and buff it, and you got a body again.
1: And all you have to do
3: buff it; it'll look the same forever, forever.
1: I I wanted to tell you, we've got a friend named Ward Morgan. He owns a uh, car museum in Manhattan, Kansas, called the Midwest Dream Car Collection. And Ward has one of your SV1s. It has 3,700 miles on it. The car is absolutely mint.
3: Yeah, well, you know, they're always going to look as good as they did coming off the thing. And, you know... Every once in a while, I'll see one riding down the street, and I look at it, and it looks like a tomorrow car, not a yesterday car. Yeah, It's hard to believe that that car is really 47 years old.
0: Mal- Malcolm, I am curious. Did you get to drive both a 74 and a 75? Did you get to uh, give a chance to see what the difference was between the uh, AMC 360 you had in the year yeah, before yeah. and the 351? Yeah, absolutely. Which was your favorite?
3: Absolutely. absolutely. Oh, the 360. Oh, hallelujah. But there's a story behind that. (laughs) Oh, no. Of course there is. We made a a deal with American Motors to buy their engine. So we put it in our car. We had to pass the 50,000-mile test. I mean, all these things are a real royal pain in the ass and cost you a lot of money. And everything's ready to go. And our dealers were set up showing them that car. And I get a call from one of my guys that said, guess what? This is right before we're ready to go into production. By the way, it's like uh, September, and production is going to start in January. They said uh, American Motors just notified us they're not going to sell the engines.
0: What? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I said, oh really? Yeah, oh really? So I call up Bloomberg. Lundberg was it? Yeah, Bloomberg was president general of uh, American Motors. Ah, uh, yeah. Why am I saying? Yeah, American Motors. And I say, uh, what are you doing? He said, uh, we're not selling you the engines. I said, well, before you make that final, you have to have the courtesy of seeing me in person with my team. You know, we do have a contract. He said, I don't give a damn what the contract me. I said, but I got to see I He said, okay, you can see me tomorrow morning. You got 15 minutes. Good enough. So I go there and I give him my whole story. Look, I spent all my money. I I got the car. You know, but this day we passed all this, but if we need to. We're ready to go produce that. What is it you want me to do? You're going to put me out of business. And let me tell you a story, Mr. Lunenberg. If I'm going out the window, I'm grabbing your tie and landing on your stomach because I'm leaving <laughs> this place if I don't have this and I'm going to Washington and talk about the conspiracy of you and the rest of the big three putting me out of business, worried about the safety car. He said, you little <laughs> cock fucking shit <ass."> <laughs> <laughs> And worse. And worse. That was the nice part. He said, who the hell do you think you're talking to? I kept my mouth shut. He said, okay, I'm going to sell you 700 engines. Let me tell you why I'm not interested in doing business. He said, it's been a long time for me to try to sell cars. It's hard with the cars we have. But now every car that I can build, I can sell. So every engine I sell you is a car I don't sell. And I am really not interested in selling engines. I'm in the car business. I said, okay, I appreciate it. That'll give me enough time to get something else. He said, get out of my office. And I said, listen, first I want to apologize, but I want you to know I was desperate. And if you had said you wouldn't sell me anything, I was out of business. He said, all right, get out and we'll sell you the 700. So now I'm trying to figure out, okay, great, we got that. Now, what the hell am I gonna do? And I'm back in Livonia, and Keith Crane, publisher of Automotive News, comes into the office. He wants to see me. Because I was not letting anybody do any publicity. He had sent a photographer into our Livonia R&D facility, and the guy snuck in with the camera, and our guy took the camera and smashed it. Ooh. So he was pissed, because he used to everybody wanting publicity. I said, I'm not interested. I'll be interested in publicity when I got cars, ready to come off the line, and then I'll have a big opening, and it's going to be at the Four Seasons, and you're invited. Malcolm, you're making a mistake. You want to be my friend. And he said, and by the way, why is uh, Sperlick out in the um, waiting room? I said, who's Sperlick? Oh, he said he's Iacocca's right-hand man. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) No kidding. Ford, huh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll see you later. Thank you very much. I'll let the guys come in and we'll have a story. He said, good enough, Keith leaves. I said, have Mr. Perley uh, come in. Oh, he's, I said, why are you here? He said, well, Iacocca sent me over to see what you guys are doing. No kidding. You're just the man I want to see. <laughs> We're going to be building our car in Canada and I need Canadian content. And I understand you got a 351 Windsor, Windsor that will fit right in our car. He said, yeah, we do. I said, you know what? I'll tell you anything you want. I'll show you what we're doing. I want to buy your engine. The hell with American Motors. He said, oh, I'll be happy to sell them to you.
0: Hallelujah. Look at him stick the knife in American Motors, Mr. Windsor. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> well, that's
3: how it went from a 364 barrel to a 351.
1: Nice, That's beautiful. I love it. Malcolm, is there any chance that we could have you back?
0: There's more stories there.
3: There, We've really enjoyed talking to you.
1: There's so much more that we need to cover. You've got so many other things to talk about, and we'd love to have you back if it's convenient for you. Would that be possible?
3: As long as you have it at this time of night, I'm doing nothing. (laughs) I go to sleep. At 1 o'clock in the morning, and I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So anything I can fill this from 7 o'clock to 1 o'clock makes me happy. I don't have to watch Netflix. (laughs) Good grief.
1: Man. Uh, call any time, pal. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, Tiger. You got it. <laughs> it's on wow. like Donkey Kong. Oh, it, it, all right,
0: I, guys. Absolutely. I told you i fun
3: talking to you. I,
1: I told you guys this was going to be the best interview. We've been speaking with visionary car mogul Malcolm Bricklin. You can find so cool. all of the social media links for Malcolm and his company, Visionary Vehicles, on readthedriven.com. Malcolm, thank you so much for being with us. We can't wait to have you back. There's so much more to cover fun
3: it was
0: fun it was fun you know what he was talking about those ibm punch cards when i first went to college and i was a jackass and went into engineering and lost my uh my scholarship and then had to pay for all the rest of the school on my own i uh that's what we did i had never touched a computer it's 1982 i have not touched a computer but i'm in engineering trying to type out fortran language and, <laughs> you, and people are walking around with these stacks of these index cards because they were all whole pun- punched out mm-hmm. and then you had to run them and god forbid you drop them you ran them oh. through this feeder thing on the computer which looked like you know a dinosaur xerox yeah and then if you're lucky it Did something? I didn't do well at that class at all. Here's the thing that got me sucked.
1: He's talking about driving from Florida to was
2: it Philadelphia? Philadelphia in a Corvette? In a Corvette with with three three kids? kids. And I'm sitting
1: here. You know, there's nothing I know as well as I know vets, and I'm going. Okay, the only thing you could possibly have is a mid-year coupe because that's the only thing that would have enough space in the back that you could stuff three kids in there. Well,
0: you know, of course, we got to remember that this is back in the Stone Age, so those kids were sleeping in the you know in the footwell. Oh, and there was one; the oldest one was stretched across the
1: back seat. No, no, no. no. You ever seen how much space there is behind the seats in a mid-year coupe? Oh, true that, dude. It's a half a U-Haul. Oh my God, there's real (laughs) space in there, but. You couldn't do it in a convertible, and you damn sure couldn't do it in a solid axle convertible like one of mine, like mine.
0: No, man. there is no backseat back there. There's, no, there's only a there's kiss this, to build a dream there, on back there. there. There's this
1: little glove box that's in the cascade between the seats, and
0: <laughs> I can tell
1: you how little crap you can get in there. It ain't much.
0: I was so happy that he also liked the 360 he, uh, he, over the 351. I was a bit surprised by that.
1: Oh, 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 the AMC motor? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it was oh, 220 yeah, horse versus, what, 170, 175 at the time? But think so we- think about how choked the engines were in the mid-70s.
0: Oh, true. Okay. Okay, You know, that. they didn't have anything. Yeah, if, and the 360 was still kind of kicking it. What was it? Wasn't it in most of the Javelins?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 360 or 390?
0: Dude, I don't know, man. They <laughs> yeah. start losing numbers. There's a the 289 Studebaker. What the hell? Uh-huh. But uh, uh, just so cool and well, so fun and to he hear those he's, crazy he's stories. He's got
1: so much. Oh, he's he's oh done so much. Wait, and and the Hunspa. The Hunspa. I love the sales
0: <Huns2> <Huns2> <laughs> <laughs> tactics he has. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fearless <laughs> SOB. Oh, my God. Yes.
1: I'm deeply politically connected in the United <laughs> States.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to deliver a line of S-H-I-T like that and just... I have
1: an old person with me. See, I can prove it.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the guy he hired to stand around and smile. Yeah. Let me show you, marketing. Oh God, that's the actor. Yeah, Chuck and ashtray.
1: <laughs> this is why I was excited for this interview. I, I knew this was going to be killer. God bless him. God bless Malcolm Bricklin. Amen. Amen. <laughs> thanks so much for spending time with us. we get to do the coolest stuff Amen. and we love what we do, but we wouldn 't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at show dot com and read driven dot com follow us on facebook, twitter, instagram, and instagram at drivenradio.com. dot com and listen on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music. Quit shaking your head. Audible, Pod <laughs> News, iHeartRadio. You're just Radio,
0: showing off. I just blah, blah, blah. We're on
1: everything. <laughs> it's weird, you know. I, I a couple <laughs> I months back, you know, I took enough time to go look up... Uh, podcast platforms and then start looking up and seeing where we were yeah, my god we're everywhere
0: plans. everything is ours Yeah, <laughs> it, everywhere. it is all ours oh, look at the ass <laughs> wow <laughs> that guy's it's got me charged up man really, he's awesome
1: really gotten out of hand <laughs> i am brett hatfield for Corey pratt that's me and catfish grows Yo. thank you for listening and we'll see you here next time on driven radio